0: Well, good morning. good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter one. Or if you need to turn on your Bibles, it's kind of hard to see on the screen the glare. Did you take that into account? That's all right. The Gospel of Mark, chapter one. Verse 1 is what we'll be looking at on this Easter morning. Today we begin uh, what will be uh, probably a year and a half journey uh, through the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you've been a part of the Rose Community Church for any amount of time, you know that the, the process uh, that we we follow here in the church is we work through books of the Bible. We work through books of the Bible, um, uh, verse by verse, uh, passage by passage, because we believe in them. Uh, we find the very word of God about what God has done in the world. Uh, so we've worked through Romans. Uh, for, it took us about 98 sermons to get through the book of Romans. And we are projecting that the gospel of Mark will take us about 70, uh, about 70 weeks, uh, because this morning we're only doing one verse. I and mean, we're not going to do that pace all the way through. But this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking specifically at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And so if you look with me, I will read that, and then we will uh, pray for God to give us understanding this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to understand this sentence and help us to acquaint ourselves with the Gospel of Mark as we begin this journey together. Father, most of all, acquaint us with Jesus, the person of Jesus, who he is and uh, what that means for our lives, God. we pray uh, that you would help me, Father, in this moment uh, to speak true things from the Scripture and that you would have uh, have ears to be open to hear uh, what has been true since the dawn of time, Father. I pray there's been so many distractions this morning, even for me personally. Um, so much spiritual warfare over the last couple days, and I can't help but think it's because there are people that will be here this morning that so desperately need to see and hear and understand who the Son of God is and what He did for them, Father. We pray that you would speak by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, from the very first sentence, it is clear who will be the main character of this book. Jesus will be front and center. In fact, every single section in the book of Mark is about Jesus. Uh, There's really only two paragraphs in the book which provides details about someone else, John the Baptist. But every other paragraph has Jesus as the main character of the story. One commentator writes, Jesus is the uncontested subject of the gospel of Mark. In fact, Mark does not even introduce himself in this book. He does not even provide an introduction to say hey this is who is writing and this is why i'm writing he just jumps in immediately with directing your eyes to jesus but we know that mark is the author of this book to some degree uh, to a fair degree of certainty because of the testimony of church history so as early as the second century you have people giving testimony to not only Mark's authorship, but that the apostle Peter assisted Mark in writing this; that they were close friends, and that Mark gave uh, uh, Peter gave Mark eyewitness testimonies and stories, and told about conversations that he had with Jesus. One pastor, as early as 130 A.D., wrote that Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered. Again, later in the 2nd century, Clement of Alexandria speaks that the people demanded uh, that Mark write an orderly account uh, from Peter and from the, the memories that he had with Jesus. And I just want to pause here and recognize something very incredible this morning as we begin this journey through the Gospel of Mark. This book that we're going to read, this book that we're going to study this morning, is a work of real history, written by a real historical person about a real historical person, Jesus of Nazareth. This morning, I want us to see four things about Jesus just from verse 1, just from the Gospel of Mark. But the first is one that is implied by the book itself, and that's this, truth number one, Jesus is a real historical person. Christianity is not a myth or a legend that has no grounding in history. We do not celebrate Easter this morning because of some oral tradition of mythical stories passed down to help us feel better about how life stinks in this broken world. Mark and Peter, who apparently joined together to compose this testimony, were real people, really changed by Jesus. And their testimony actually spans over multiple works of history, multiple books of the New Testament. We, we find these two men, Peter and Mark, having eyewitness encounters with Jesus himself. I mean, Peter walks with Jesus for three years, heard his teaching, watched his miracles. At the, at, uh, he ate the bread multiplied from heaven, right? he walked on water to meet Jesus he he cowered in the corner at Jesus's trial he spoke in boldness when the spirit fell Peter led the church in Jerusalem eventually traveled to Rome where he taught the church made disciples and would eventually give his life being crucified upside down because he considered himself unworthy to die in the same way that his Savior died these are historical events Peter In Rome, ministered alongside Mark, sometimes called John Mark. And we see these two uh, people's paths cross several times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 12, Peter had been arrested for preaching Jesus. And then God uh, miraculously delivered him from prison. And the first place that Peter goes, Acts chapter 12 tells us, he actually goes to Mark's house, to Mark's mother's house where they were praying for him to be delivered. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name is Mark. Where many were gathered together and were praying. Scholars assume, uh, and and rightfully so, that, that it was Mark's house where the Last Supper occurred. It was at Mark's house, the upper room, where the spirit fell, where they were waiting after Jesus had rose from the dead to know what to do next, right before they preached that awesome sermon at Pentecost. That's it. John Mark's house. Mark's whole life, apparently, had been shaped by this person named Jesus. Mark's name shows up as traveling with Peter to Rome, 1 Peter chapter 5, 13. Peter says that that Mark sends you greetings. He says, my son, Mark, sends you greetings. Peter had been discipling Mark. In this book, we're beginning to study. This Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate is not a matter of mythology. This Jesus of Nazareth is not a make-believe person being designed by somebody a long time ago to soothe our restless souls about the afterlife. 2,000 years ago, a man was born. And he did some crazy stuff. So much so that he radically changed the lives of the people that walked with them. To the point where they were willing to die a martyr's death, still proclaiming that this man rose from the dead. Amen. Mark. Directs our eyes, not to himself, not to the Apostle Peter, but to the climax of human history, the main character of all creation, Jesus himself. And we must come to terms with what we believe about this Jesus, whose message has forever changed the landscape of world history. This is what Mark intended to do with the writing of this book. He intends to help us to see who Jesus really is. And this is why he begins his book in this way, Mark 1, verse 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The first words, in the beginning, should remind you of another book that begins similarly, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mark signals to his readers that what follows is of similar importance to the beginning of all things. A new beginning has come into the world. Something cataclysmic has happened. A universe-shaping event occurred when Jesus came into the world. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Whatever follows in the Gospel of Mark, he believes it to be good news for the world. Truth number two, Jesus is good news for the world. The word gospel, both in the Old Testament and in Greek literature, was commonly used when victory had been had over the enemy. Sprinters would go running through the city, running to the the hometown when victory had had been had on the front lines, and they would sprint through the cities yelling, good news, good news, victory has occurred. Just a decade before Jesus' birth, uh, similar runners ran with good news when Caesar Augustus was born in, in 9 B.C. And they ran through the cities saying, saying good news, good news, uh, the, the king has had a son, right? A Caesar has had a son. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah spoke of good news that would one day be heralded when God would bring salvation to his people and restoration to the world through a servant king. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The picture of Isaiah 52 is a coming king who would extend the reign of God over a very broken world. Someone was coming. Who would usher in a new beginning, a new world, a new kingdom, a new life of peace and happiness and salvation under the rule of God rather than the rule of men. And the Old Testament understood this coming person to be the anointed one or the Christ. If you're new to Christianity, you may assume that Christ was Jesus' last name. It was not his last name. It was a title given to him. To identify what it was he really came to do in the world. He was the anointed one. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophets were anointed, the priests were anointed, the kings were anointed as, as uh, symbols of, of them being the servants of God to do a particular, a particular task. And here comes the Christ. The prophet, the priest, the king, who has come to accomplish what God the Father has sent for him. Listen to how Isaiah 61 describes the ministry of the coming anointed one. Later, Jesus would literally read this passage in the, the synagogue and then sit down and say, this is about me. Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, opening Glorified Somehow, way, the good news promised in the Old Testament came in a person. One commentator writes, Mark's understanding, therefore, is that the gospel is more than a set of truths. It's more than a set of beliefs. It is a person. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom that God was bringing in the world, is bodily present in a person, and his name is Jesus. He's the good news. He's the king. He's the anointed one. But Mark continues that he's more than that. Direct your attention to the title used at the end of the sentence of verse 1. Son of God. This is a mind-blowing claim. Christian, what we believe is insane. Can we just admit for a second? that what we believe is kinda crazy. That there is a God who created the world. That this beautiful sunshine, the vastness of this creation, that there stands behind it divine design. There's a God who created this world, but he doesn't stand far away from the world, distant from it, never to be known by his creatures, but that God in real space and time Entered into the world in human flesh. Truth number three Jesus is the Son of God. The Gospel of Mark is an eyewitness testimony to the personhood of Jesus, to whom he believes Jesus to truly be, God in the flesh, the son of the eternal God. It's an attempt to answer the question all of us should honestly ask, who is this Jesus really? And for Mark, it's not just a historical person who got a following and then got himself in trouble with the Romans. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good example of love and humility. He's not just a religious option among the many. But he is the divine son of God. Mark is very much about proving this divinity of Jesus. The whole gospel is very much... Action-based he wants to prove this through both Jesus's actions and through others assessment of Jesus So the story quickly moves from scene to scene from sign to sign from miracle to miracle showing that Jesus was doing the things that only God could do he showed authority to forgive sins Authority to direct and destroy demons, authority to heal all sickness, undo all disabilities, define truth, authority to to authority over all the created order including trees and wind and waves, The, the physics of the material world, he could just pray or speak and then food would appear from heaven for thousands and ultimately he would show that he has authority over death itself. And along the way through the Gospel of Mark, you have these markers, these moments where people are beginning to recognize that this is no ordinary guy. Along the way, you hear these variety of voices testifying that he really is the Son of God. God the Father and God the Spirit actually identify him as the Son of God in the very first chapter, Mark chapter one, verse nine through eleven. Jesus goes to John the Baptist and pursuing righteousness in all things. He's baptized and as he emerges from the water, the text tells us that the heavens tore open and the spirit descended upon him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Again in Mark chapter 9, he takes Peter and James and John to the mountain and he is going to He is going to reveal to them a little bit more than what they've seen. I I was reading in a book a while ago, and it stuns me. One guy described the incarnation of Jesus as, as power veiled. That even in Jesus' coming as a man, that his flesh was, was hiding so much glory, so much of who he, who he was. And in, in a moment on the mountain, J- Jesus sort of pulled back the curtain upon his glory in Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 2. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on, that no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, "Oh Rabbi, is it good that we're here? <laughs> Let us make three tents: one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified." And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. A divine voice from heaven affirms that Jesus is the Son of God. God, but that's not the only voice throughout the gospel. Even the demons identify Jesus as Son of God. He walks up in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, and the unclean spirits saw him, and they fall down before him, crying out, You are the Son of God. Again in Mark 5, verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Jesus himself, questioned by the Sanhedrin, was asked point-blank, are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said in Mark 14, 61, I am. Familiar words from Exodus 3 where God identifies himself as I am that I am, the eternal one. Even at Jesus' death, A testimony is given to his identity by one of the most unlikely of voices. Jesus hangs on a cross. He breathes his last breath. And then in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, a Roman soldier looks up because the ground is just shaken and the curtain has tore and Jesus has died and darkness is covering the land. And a Roman soldier who'd been part of his very crucifixion looks up at Jesus and he says this, truly, this man was the son of God, and thus we have, in the crucifixion and in this recognition of the son of him being the son of God, we have the paradoxical message of Mark. One of the reasons that he wrote the gospel is this difficulty of understanding how the Christ, the Messiah, the Good News, the promised one of all the Old Testament, and apparently the divine Son of God. If you would expect someone to come like that, you would expect him to come triumphantly, not as someone who was determined on getting himself killed, not as someone who suffered, It's not as someone who bled and died on a Roman crucifixion as a weakling. There's, just, there's a difficulty in the first century to think, especially from a Roman perspective, that, that you would serve a God that, that would humble himself to the point of Crucifixion. Why did he die? This is what so many struggle to comprehend. Peter himself recognized in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, in the very uh, center of the book, in Mark chapter eight, of Jesus confesses, "You're the Christ." He recognized. I mean, nobody else can do this stuff. You've got to be the Christ, right? But there's, but in Peter's mind, there's no way the Christ would die on a cross. Listen to this. Mark chapter 8 verse 27. I love this story. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea and Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? I'm not asking what they say I am. I want to know now who you say that I am. And Peter answered him the right answer. You are the Christ. In verse thirty-one, Jesus begins to teach them what that meant—that he might suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And then listen to what Peter does. You gotta love this. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, I, I believe you're the Christ, but this whole dying thing—I think you think you've missed steps here. And Jesus turns, seeing his disciples, rebukes Peter in front of them and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And three times in the Gospel of Mark, the same series happens. Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.34. Jesus tells them, I'm going to die and rise again. Then they don't understand. Then Jesus corrects them and says, and if you follow me, it's going to cost you as well. Three times, three chapters, 831, 931, 1034, over and over and over again, they could not grasp why the divine Son of God would die. And in Mark chapter 10, after their misunderstanding over and over, Jesus clarifies in a very short, concise way. He says, Whoever will be first among you must be a slave of all, he must be a servant. And then he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How is it good news that the Son of God came, that he lived, that he worked some miracles for some people 2,000 years ago? What is the essence of the good that Jesus came to do? Well, according to the Gospel of Mark, the whole story is heading in a direction. Jesus has his eyes set on one moment where he will willingly walk to the cross and die the death that sinners deserve to die. The Son of God came into the world to pay the ransom for many, to pay a price. For you and I, that we might be welcomed into all the good news promises of the Old Testament. It was the crucifixion for which Christ came. Christmas happened so that he might get to Easter. The point of his incarnation was his crucifixion and praise God, his resurrection. Truth number four is this. Jesus saves. Through his death and resurrection. This is the message of Mark. We live in a world that is desperate for good news. We live in a world that is plagued with disease, depression, anxiety, conflict, strife, sin, and death. We live in a world where we very much feel the separation from God because of our sin. But Jesus changes everything. His miracles are a foretaste. Of the future world we've been invited into where there is no more sin and suffering. His death paid the penalty that we owed before God. And his resurrection life on the third day guarantees the eternal life that he has promised to you. If you believe upon him. This is the message. Jesus the message of Christianity the message of Easter this is the good news to which we must respond you know the Gospel of Mark along the way is packed with descriptions of how different people responded to this Jesus you don't get the luxury of just saying that he was a good guy sometime back then he is either a liar who led a lot of who fooled a lot of people to the point of where they would literally die. Or he's a lunatic and he fooled himself and he fooled a bunch of other people, thousands of them. Or he's the Lord of life. Who came, lived a perfect life, died, and got up three days later. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to respond to the reality of Jesus. Some of you have already had your lives changed by Jesus. And in Jesus, you found forgiveness and love and joy and the hope of eternal life. And your response is simply to gather here with the brethren and worship King Jesus in thankfulness. Because you've tasted the resurrection life in relationship with Jesus that you've been promised to enjoy forever. And you're here just to celebrate, right? Amen. Praise God. So we're going to sing in a minute. And your response is just to joyfully worship the Jesus who has accomplished your salvation. Now some of you put faith in Jesus, but you've lost touch with this reality. You say you believe, but uh, nothing about your life shows that you are following a resurrected Jesus. What you say you believe about Jesus doesn't line up with your priorities in life. It doesn't look like you actually follow a Lord who has something to say about your purpose and mission in life. And I want to ask you to repent and consider what your life would look like if you believed that Jesus really is the good news for the world. What would change about how you woke up in the morning or spent your money or spent your time. What becomes worth living for if Jesus is alive and eternity is real? And some of you have never come to terms with who Jesus really is at all. And he's just been kind of the thing that you do on Easter Sunday or sort of the thing that your grandmother was all about, and you're, you're kind about it, you're gracious with these christian people, but it's never really been important to you or your life. And I just want to leave you with a question, what if the real historical Jesus, the anointed one promised for thousands of years, really was the Son of God, really did the miracles that we have recorded in this book? and really died and rose again on the third day this is not something to push aside and say i'll figure out later what i think about this this is not something that you want to say i'll find out in the end because then brothers and sisters will be too late what if he really offers eternal life what if there's good news to be had and what if the good news to be had is not that you have to do anything to earn God's love, but that Jesus Christ did it for you. He lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you deserve to die and rose again to offer you eternal life you never could have earned yourself. What if there's not a 10-step process? What if there's not like a whole sort of religious deal that you got to walk through? What if like right now in your seat you could cry out to God and say, I believe, save my soul, and he would do it because Christ did it for you, and paid the ransom for you to be reconciled to God. Let's pray, and let's uh, respond to the Word. Thank you, God, for the Gospel of Mark, and for the journey we're about to embark on as a church, just coming face-to-face with Jesus each and every week what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do, and we pray that not just today, but every day, he would help us to be a people who rightly respond to Jesus, the Son of God. Help us now, Lord, to respond in worship, to respond in repentance, to respond with belief. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name,